Welcome to Artful Conversations, a podcast about arts and cultural management. I'm Anisha Latham. And I'm Katrina Ingram. We interview leaders who help shape the world of arts and culture, sharing their stories, insights, and observations. Welcome to Artful Conversations. I'm your host, Katrina Ingram. With me today is Adam Fox, Director of Programs at the National Music Center, also known simply as NMC. Welcome, Adam. Thank you. Good to be here. Adam has extensive experience in radio, having managed community radio stations in Windsor, Toronto, and most recently Edmonton, where he was the content director for the CKUA radio network. He also has experience in programming and new media with a focus on storytelling and nurturing emerging talent. Adam has been a member of the National Music Center's National Exhibitions Advisory Committee since May 2013, prior to taking on his current role. In his spare time, he is an accomplished musician who writes and performs music of his own. So Adam, tell me, what is the National Music Center? What is the National Music Center? You know, this is a question that we we grapple with all the time because, you know, I think when we work at NMC, we, we know what it is. Um, you know, our marketing team, I think, has been challenged with trying to come up with a, an elevator pitch, you know, something that's snappy, you can do in 11 seconds or something like that. Um, I think the easiest way to talk about NMC and what we do is to is to start with what was the impulse for for its uh, its creation, and really it was. I think the first impulse was to create a home for music in Canada. Um, there had been some unsuccessful attempts to, uh, to to create Canadian music halls of fame in, in various places, mostly in Toronto, to be honest. Um, but they were largely unsuccessful and. Um, and yeah, I think Andrew Mosker, our president and CEO, who I, I should mention is uh, is uh, an alumnus of of McEwen University. Oh, so he wanted to give a shout out to, to McEwen. Excellent. Um, but um, yeah, so I think that was the first impulse was to create a home for music in Canada. And then from there, um, but we, I, there was never really the impulse to create a traditional kind of museum. Um, but certainly telling stories about music in Canada is something that that... Uh, is a kind of core mission of the National Music Center. But there was a bigger vision to not only reflect Canadian culture um, and the various cultures that, that have produced uh, the music of, of, of our country, but also to, to create a place for creation of music, uh, an organization that, um, that believes in the, in the inherent and various powers of music, um, that has programs around that. Um, but yeah, and, and really, I think also to create a hub for music in Western Canada, as many folks know, the music industry in this country uh, is a bit focused in Toronto and, and again in, in Montreal and, and, and a bit in Vancouver as well. But we, we really saw an opportunity, um, or Andrew saw a, a big opportunity with, um, with the previous Cantos collection in Calgary. Um, and there was... You know, there was a will and there was the means to do it. And and that's why the National Music Center exists in Calgary. Great. You're going to have to tell us about the Canto Center a little <laughs> bit because now that you brought that up. I have to reference it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the roots of the National Music Center go back uh, decades. It kind of got our start as, as a... Um, uh, an organ competition, an international organ competition. Um, and from there, it kind of evolved into, we started getting gifts of organs and then 
classical music became certainly was the chief repertoire and uh, pianos started to find their way gifts of pianos started to find their way and you know and eventually in customs house our old facility on um on 11 avenue in um in calgary it began to become filled with pianos and piano technology. Harpsichords all of a sudden started showing up. And need a lot of room for harpsichords. We did need a lot. You do, you do. And, uh, <laughs> and so the collection just started to really grow. And then from there, you know, Andrew Mosker was, was working in various capacities for, um, for the, the organ uh, festival. Uh, it evolved into the Chinook keyboard collection. Uh, from there, it evolved into Cantos Foundation. Um, the, the facility at Customs House opened itself up for a lot of piano recitals and kind of community, uh, community programming. And that kind of became part of our DNA. You know, that was an early evolutionary piece for us as, um, as far as being kind of open to grassroots initiatives and to, you know, local communities and and music communities in, in Calgary. And then when Andrew took over, there was also opportunities, people were like, well, you got all these synthesis, you know, you've got all these keyboards and pianos. Uh, how about, you know, synthesizers and things like that? So all of a sudden, it just kept evolving and to a point where we were getting donations of um, big collections of, of, of musical instruments to a point where, uh, where yeah, the, the roots of, uh, in, in the organ uh, competition had really just metastasized into mm-hmm. this crazy music collection. And I think Andrew saw that as an opportunity uh, to really build out something that was a, a, a more uh, comprehensive and holistic vision of music um, because of the diversity of our collection, but also because he saw that there was a need in the country for something that celebrated Canadian music, um, celebrated music in Canada, and, um, and also could serve as a, a place for incubation and in artist residencies. It's very bold to go from being an organ competition to being a museum for keyboards to declaring yourself as the National Music Center. Yeah. And you reference Toronto and Ottawa. And when we think of national associations, they typically are centered in that part of the country. Yep. So tell me a bit about uh, the challenges and the opportunities <laughs> in creating a national music center in the western city of Calgary. Oh, gosh. You know, it's it's funny. Andrew, uh, I, I came in at a really opportunistic time because Andrew had already been laying the groundwork for over a decade. Um, what I can tell you is it's, you know, I would say it's still a challenge. It's still something that we we continue to um, to have to address on a, on a daily, weekly basis is convincing um, primarily folks in the industry in other cities and primarily in Toronto that what we're doing is valid and credible. Um, but I think, and our success and our ability to, you know, we are the home for the Canadian music hall of fame, the Canadian songwriters hall of fame, the Canadian country music, uh, hall of fame collection. So, you know, and that, that's, that's been huge for us because we've been able to convince the stakeholders of all those organizations that what we're doing here is credible, that we have the means to celebrate Canadian music legacy appropriately, that we have um, the passion to do that, that we have the means to do that uh, has really been huge. And I think um, that that's a testament to the work that Andrew did largely in a diplomatic um, uh, fashion 
you know, we've spent a lot of time traveling. We've spent a lot of time on the road. We've been going to the Junos. We've been going to uh, the Canadian Country Music Awards. We've been taking meetings and, and making meetings with folks that uh, maybe were a bit dismissive of us at a time because why wouldn't you be skeptical? You know, I'm from Ontario myself, so I, I understand um, some of the skepticism of, of the organization. But I think one of the things that is also in NMC's DNA is just a, a certain audacity. We don't wait for people to tell us we can do something. Um, and I think it's one of the things that sets us apart from other legacy institutions that have been around for decades is we, we don't have the burden of decades of bureaucracy. Um, and, you know, obviously we also don't have the advantages of it. We don't have the sustainable uh, legacy funding of those kinds of institutions. But I think it's that you know, the nascent nature of our organization and, and that lack of a track record has actually been a boon for us because we're also not hemmed in by by previous ideas. You know, when you look at other museums or other collecting institutions, we do things a lot differently than than other folks. So anyway, I, I maybe I've lost the plot of the question, but I guess I guess what I would say is we've been hustling and putting in, pounding the pavement for over a decade to to convince folks of the validity and uh, and the opportunity in what we're doing and I think we're starting to see uh, see some of the results of it we are you know we've we've hosted Sarah McLaughlin Burton Cummings Bruce Coburn um, we're gonna host more folks this year we've got bare naked ladies coming in to to, to place their plaques on the pretty wall pretty much a who's who of pretty much a who's music. who yeah and that's and and why has that happened that's happened because you know, Andrew and our staff and our, our board have really hustled to to make those connections and develop those relationships in the industry. It's really interesting because in some ways, I think you're painting a picture of uh, a West, that audacity really speaks to kind of the West staking our claim because we don't really have that history that yeah. we need to lean on. What do you think having a national presence, a national music center has done for the Calgary music scene? Hmm. That's a great question. I, I mean... You know, the National Music Center was instrumental in bringing uh, the Junos back to Calgary in 2016. Um, and we continue to, to with our facility and with the resources we have, we, we've been attracting uh, a lot of activity, you know, bringing opportunities for artists here uh, with our AE West program. That's really benefited tons of folks in the Calgary music scene. Uh, and in, and indeed in Western Canada. So I think it's been huge. You know, we've got the Alberta Electronic Music Conference that is now um, going to be hosted um, on an annual basis at, at Studio Bell. So I think I think the vision and the dream is that this is a, a space that will be accessible to lots of different folks in the local and regional music communities. And yeah, we're bringing in national talent all the time. You know, we've got an RBC-sponsored Master in Residence program that's bringing in... Uh, world-renowned international talent and that are that local and regional and national too uh, artists get a chance to work with and engage with we've you know we had Richie Houghton in last year well it was almost a year ago crazy time flies you know uh we had Richie Houghton in last year and uh a local producer uh named Cloves had a chance to work directly with with Richie and Richie was really 
really blown away by by her work and uh and because of that relationship that they developed you know he's booked her on some of the i think you know on, on a show in california and he's just he's in touch with her and and the relationships are everything in 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 life period right and so we're creating opportunities for for local and regional artists to really connect not only with artists and industry but but just with a, a broader uh community of audience too through our, our digital channels which are which are growing every day sounds like you're really raising the bar in terms of building all of those connections between various people who are in the industry and the benefits obviously for the audience yeah i do you mentioned the junos i definitely want to talk about the junos so tell me a bit more about that project and what that was like Oh God! Hosting the 2016 Junos in Calgary. Yes. It wow. It was, it was kind of a unique time because we were, we weren't open yet, right? Studio Bell opened on July 1st, 2016, and uh, obviously the Junos were in April of that year. Our exhibitions were not yet totally complete. Um, at the time, I was that was kind of my primary job was was uh, implementing and completing the exhibitions project. So we were hustling like crazy just to try to get the fifth floor um, sorted out because we were hosting, obviously, the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. We wanted to make sure that exhibition was done in time for the Junos because we were going to be inducting Burton Cummings up there. So it was a frantic, exciting, anxiety-ridden time. Um, but, you know, we knew that when when the Canadian music industry was was going to be coming to to Calgary and we ended up hosting uh, a few of the the big receptions um at Studio Bell of course the broadcast is in Saddledown we can't fit you know 18,000 people in in our facility right. but uh but yeah we had the who's who of the Canadian music industry in the facility and uh and we were eager to show it off and and you know folks were blown away even though the exhibitions weren't totally complete people were just uh gobsmacked and and I think it went a long way in in proving to some of the skeptics that were out there that, oh yeah, they're, they're building a place that is appropriately um, grand to celebrate the legacy of Canadian music. And it's important that, that we do, that we respect the uh, immense contributions of Canadian artists with something that's special. And we've done that. It's nice that you were able to set the tone right from the beginning in terms of being able to entertain the who's who of Canadian music, even though your doors weren't completely open. And I imagine it was a bit of a pressure cooker situation for those involved <laughs> behind the scenes. Um, one thing I want to talk about is where the building is located in Calgary. And that, there's an interesting story about the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Do you want to unpack that for us? Yeah. I mean, where we're located is really, is really important. Um, you know, I think when Andrew and the board were... Were, had finally decided that they, they wanted to do something like this to build a National Music Center. They looked at a variety of, of local options as far as locations or places to put it. Um, you know, there's certainly arguments to be made for placing uh, large facilities like this, maybe closer to major highways and arteries, um, you know, thinking about things like parking, you know. I sigh because it, it comes up a lot. With, Those are practical considerations. Yeah, they, they are practical considerations for sure. Um, but for us and for, and I think for for the vision of what we're trying to to create, um, we, you know, I think, I think in NMC's DNA, we also believe in, in placemaking and in, in contributing to uh, the developing narrative of, of the city that, that we live in. And, and the truth is, is no city is static. 
cities are constantly changing. Culture is constantly changing. And, uh, and certainly I think that there's a, there's a dynamic in Calgary, um, of urbanism that is, that is really starting to take hold. And we, and I think as an organization, we believe in, in, uh, in a, in a vibrant urban core, uh, for, as far as creating a sustainable, uh, sustainable city. And so when we were looking at locations, uh, one of the things that came up and another piece on top of that was we wanted to create, we wanted to root, we wanted to create uh, a national music center that was rooted in, in a, in a relevant, incredible music history. And when you look at Cal, and, and as you mentioned, the West, as far as um, our colonial history, it's, it's not that long. And I think we have to you know, look for opportunities to talk about the story, but there's still, you know, there's still a music history that's, that's worth telling. And I think the King Edward Hotel, the King Eddie, uh, created an opportunity for us to, um, to tie something that, that, that kind of looked at the past and looked at something that was, I think, a really vibrant and important piece of Calgary's music history and, and, uh, and reflect that past while also creating something new. And, uh, and the King Eddie is, as many will know, um, closed its doors in the early aughts, um, early to mid aughts, I think it was 2006. And, uh, and it had sat there, um, in East Village kind of, you know, honestly it was slated for, for demolition, uh, because they had to move some, some of the civic engineering stuff around. But, uh, but Andrew thought that, well, here's an authentic Calgary music story. Here's a venue that, you know, was the first, um, desegregated bar and, uh, and restaurant in, in the city. Here's a place that, um, went through a variety of iterations, but in its most recent one was, was known, you know, rather infamously as, as one of the, the best blues bars, blues dives in the country and certainly in Western Canada. Um, you know, and again, Times change, things come and go, audiences come and go as well. But uh, but that's a legacy that we really wanted to to celebrate, and we we saw an opportunity not only to kind of save the Eddie and 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 prop it back up and and create a new chapter in the Eddie story, um, but also help to revitalize a neighborhood in Calgary's East Village that had undergone, um, you know, that had seen a lot of different challenges over the years. Certainly, the city of Calgary uh, through the uh, CMLC have been trying to reinvest in that neighborhood because they see tremendous opportunity for obvious reasons. It's location, it's situation to the river, um, has a lot going for it. And, um, and so I think there was a will on part of the city for, uh, for an investment, obviously Calgary public libraries building a gigantic, uh, new, new home there as well. There's a lot of activity, a lot of condos going up, a lot of, um, a lot of new businesses going in and they thought, uh, rightly so that, that NMC could be part of that revitalization. And, and so far, yeah, it's working. It's still an evolving neighborhood, but, um, and the Eddie itself is something we're still, we're putting a lot of focus and time in, especially this year. One of the themes that we've been exploring with guests is this idea of cultural regeneration. So in, in as much as the building itself is helping to regenerate that neighborhood, could you maybe, let's segue into programming and talk sure. about how some of the programming perhaps is um, lending itself to that cultural regeneration. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and, and you know, and I guess going back to the elevator pitch, I think when people ask, what what is NMC? Um the easiest thing to do is kind of talk about the programs that we do and, and, and what we are. I think, as I, as I mentioned, people expect we'll, we'll have an exhibition about Canadian music, and we do. We've got uh, over 22 galleries 
over 22, I guess it'd be 23. <laughs> We've got <laughs> over 20, over, let's say over 20, <laughs> over 20 galleries uh, dedicated to telling stories about music in Canada. Uh, as I mentioned, we've got the homes for the Halls of Fame. We uh, we recognize recent inductions to the Canadian Music Halls of Fame um, in a couple different galleries. We also do pop-up special exhibitions. We've got one up for Katie Lang at the moment. We're going to be doing something new uh, with another Canadian artist coming up. Um, and that's on the exhibition side. And then, of course, we tell stories with artifacts and with uh, with our musical instruments, which is part of our living collection, which is a whole other ball of wax. It would take me a long time to discuss. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of that stuff kind of contributes to our artist residency program. Um, so we have an artist residency program that creates opportunities for artists to come in and use our collection in creative ways because we want to uh, be a place that... Um, that uh, promotes and, and helps generate new Canadian music. We have a recording facility on the West Block, uh, kind of in the King Eddie footprint, um, that spans five different recording environments, uh, four different stories uh, throughout that that block, featuring some legendary recording instruments. It's 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 a really special recording facility, um, and so we we our artist residency programs. That's what they were designed for. But of course, there's other ways artists can access that as well. Uh, we have artist development programs in addition to that. Uh, so we offer a five-week artist development program called AE West. That's a collaboration with Canada's Music Incubator from Toronto. That's something that creates opportunities for um, emerging artists to work with uh, Canadian music industry folks to to really sharpen and hone their skills, um, both on the performance and the creative side, but also on the business development side. We have education programs. We are not a music school. We're not a conservatory. Uh, I'm sitting in a great music school here today, and we respect that there's great conservatories and music schools in the province and in the country, but that's not what we're trying to do. With our education programs, we really try to use music as a um, as an entry point into core curriculum topics, we serve over 13,000 kids a year right now with uh, primarily K-6 in the uh, Calgary region. Uh, we also have, of course, students and, and class groups visiting from all over the country as well. Um, that's the education side. Public programs, we have uh, a host of special events that we do for Family Day and Canada Day, things like that. We've got special tours of the exhibitions, special tours of the recording facilities. We do pop-up music programs with community partners all the time, um, activating the space with uh, interpreters that play the instruments. In addition to that, what else? Oh, live music, of course. We program live music. We have uh, a few different concert series. Uh, Alberta Spotlight is going to be one that uh, I'm sure the audience is listening to this podcast are going to be interested in. We do uh, kind of a monthly concert series with uh, a diverse array of uh, Alberta artists and a Crossroads Music Program that's designed to uh, highlight the diversity of the global music that comprises Canadian music. Um, what else do we do? We do tons. <laughs> so one of, the, one of the questions I have in listening to this very exhaustive and, and amazing list of projects is, how do you actually get all that done? And I think it's something our students might be interested in. How do you get that done with the limited resources that you have, both financial and personnel-wise? How do you accomplish all of that? That's a really great question. Um, it's tough because as a new organization, it's funny, you know, I think a lot of folks see the facility and they expect, oh, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like the BAM Center or something like this, or it's kind of like this. Or is it like the ROM or what's it like? And a lot of the comparisons that folks come up with, especially, you know, even when they see the volume of programs that we do, they they assume we have a budget of 
tens of millions of dollars, um, you know, upwards of 50 million. Um, and that's the dream, of course. Uh, but we, you know, we operate with a fraction of that, uh, you know, uh, a, a really small amount. And I think one of the reasons why we've been able to, so far, and we've only been 20 months in the facility, uh, been able to, I think, have some pretty successful early days here is because of the kinds of people we've attracted and, and the way our team performs. Um, as I mentioned, we don't have some of the we don't have some of the benefits and advantages of a legacy institution, but we also aren't handcuffed with some of the restraints. Um, I think culturally, as a you know, and when I'm talking about the internal culture of, of NMC, we attract people that are really passionate about music. And if you don't have passion for what you're doing, if you're the type of person that um, you know wants to punch a clock, you know, come in exactly at nine or eight and leave exactly at four thirty or five. Um, if, if everybody in our, on our team did that, we, we would fail. And I think the difference is, is we ask a lot of the people that work for NMC and we try to reward them as, as best we can. Um, and I think we want to attract people that feel the reward of being able to work in music. It's, it's a rare thing. It's harder than ever to find, uh, you know, to make a living uh, through music. Uh, and I think that, that goes for the arts as well, regardless of the medium. Um, so we attract people that, that really just, they have to do it. And, and they believe in the opportunity of what we're making. Um, you know, I think National Music Center in five to ten years will look drastically different. I think our programs will continue to grow. I think our influence will expand. I think we'll get to a point where we're doing lots more um, you know, uh, partnered activity in other parts of the country. We'll start to branch out with what we do. Um, what's but, your dream partner? Do you have, have you oh, thought about this? My dream partner. I mean, we have so many great, I don't want to, I don't want to throw shade on any current partners because I, because I, I believe we do have dream partners already. I think, you know, Karis has been tremendous, uh, Canadian country music hall of fame and the association there have been tremendous, but partners, or maybe I should ask, what would you, what kind of partnerships would you like to see evolve? And that could be with a current partner or bringing in some other partners to augment something. You know, there's there's really cool stuff happening in the private sector. You know, in a, you know, we, we when you think about partners for a not an arts not for profit, you start to think about, you know, the usual suspects, right? Uh, you know, government organizations, national broadcasters, regional broadcasters, uh, things like that, musicians unions or what you know, and all those things are really important and 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 kind of you know, obvious, I would say. And, and certainly we, we've reached out to, we work with lots of those uh, normal ones. But I think, I think we, you know, getting back to that entrepreneurial spirit that you talked, that you touched on as far as, um, you know, the kind of Western mentality uh, out here. I think, you know, we're constantly in conversation with people at, uh, at various private industries, you know, whether they be sponsors that are doing cool things in programming like Red Bull, you look at a company like that and what they're doing. Um, you look at Live Nation, um, music organizations that that are for profit that are doing amazing things. And that's, that's a th one of the things that I think really sets us apart is we, you know, we're, we're business and, and we do have, we're all passionate, we all have a, a you know, big beating arts hearts. But in our organization, we uh, we're, we're also really keenly business focused, and uh, and we you know we think about return on the investment, which can have all kinds of qualitative and quantitative aspects. But we're constantly thinking about 
because our time and our resources are limited, as you mentioned. So we have to be really shrewd. And, and I think we are, we are a shrewd organization. We are an agile organization and, uh, and we're not afraid if something's not working, we'll just abandon it. You know, like we, we're not super married to things. And I think, and we're also not afraid to, to screw up. You know, we're not afraid to launch something and say, you know, this isn't working. So are there any examples that you can share of things that you've abandoned or things no, that didn't because go we've well? No, because all the programming has been perfect. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> let's just make that clear. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess, I guess I would say we've learned, a, I wouldn't say that we've abandoned anything outright. I think one of the challenges we have is we get, a, we get pitched and approached a lot to do different things and, uh, and I think we've tried a lot of stuff in the last uh, 21 months. And and we've lost some money on some things that we thought we would break even on or do better. And and uh, and I think one of the things we've we've had to do is just constantly reevaluate and and learn. And we're still learning, right? And we're still learning what what it takes to deliver some uh, to deliver programs or experiences in the way that we'd like to. And uh yeah, and I would say that we're getting more intelligent, and we're just applying that intelligence to our, our our processes and our and getting more efficient and effective in our work. And I think it's less about it's less about we're not doing certain lines of work. It's just I think we're getting smarter at it and and picking our battles a little bit better and working on our communication so that we can manage expectations with our partners and and, and our stakeholders. And what criteria are you using to analyze the work and make some decisions around priorities? Well, I think each department has different key performance indicators. And, uh, you know, we've spent, actually, it's funny, we've been spending the last, um, the last 12 months working with, um, working with a coach um, at the leadership level, uh, just to try to get a little bit more organized and focused on, on exactly what success is. Uh, I think I think it is a struggle and a challenge for a lot of arts industries to quantify the outcomes and to communicate the the value. And I think it's something we've been thinking about a lot too, because you know we're still trying to raise money for for what we're doing. Um, we are not a you know we, we don't draw a government subsidy for our operations. Of course, we get grants and um, you know different different uh, programming grants and things like that. But we don't you know unlike other crown corporations, we're not right. We don't draw that. So we draw a lot of our cash and support from um, from philanthropy and from donors and sponsors. So. And a lot of those folks, not everybody, you know, it's funny because people are like, oh, it must be so easy to raise money for music. Everybody loves music. And what we found is that's actually not true. Not everybody sees the intrinsic value of music. I got to tell you that uh, as, as, as crazy as that sounds to, to you and me. But um, so we've, you know, we've been spending a lot of time thinking about and doing research and, and uh, through the Alberta Music Cities Initiative looking at um, other music cities across the world, which is a huge trend, obviously, right? Like that's happening uh, not only in the Austins and Nashvilles of the world, but, you know, London and you name it, every city. I mean, London, Ontario, for, for you know, crying out loud, is, is, is looking into this stuff. So, you know, we're constantly looking at that, at trying to quantify and figure out what the outcomes are because we, we know that there's more value in music than just the intrinsic feel-good stuff which I think is incredibly valuable and really important uh, socially, but just trying to kind of 
quantify and measure those outcomes as best we can looking at you know financial the financial impact of the music industry a lot of that goes unreported or un, or ungathered there's a lot of data raw data sitting out there that just needs to be marshaled together and people will start to realize the importance of nighttime economies of, of the importance of arts and artists for the vibrancy of a city the importance of that vibrancy and attract, attracting and retaining uh, skilled labor, especially for cities that are, are uh, trying to develop an, an economy in a post-industrial landscape. So all those things are kind of feeding in. And so we, you know, I think we're thinking about that a lot at the leadership table at the National Music Center and, you know, looking at key performance indicators, you know, certainly for programming, I'm looking at things all the time, like, uh, you know, there's the obvious ones, like what is our attendance? How's our gate doing? Uh, certainly, you want to make your budget on your revenue and your expense. Those are the easy ones. But then we also survey our audience all the time, and we're all we're always playing with that to get the you know to get some quantitative stuff, but also qualitative. We want to hit a participant satisfaction rating of over eighty percent, and uh, I'm pleased to say we've been able to do that. We're closer to nine. Uh, 90%. So those are the little ones. But then there's larger ones like how diverse is our programming? Are we are we touching on, um, are we representing cultures from, from five different or the many different regions in Canada? Are we representing all these different genres? So there's a lot. So who is your audience and, and, and who is your audience right now? And who do you want your audience to be? And, and maybe they're the same thing. Audience is a really tough one. And you know, back when I was working more focused in radio and uh, in digital media um, had a little bit easier time with this. Um, but I would say, you know, I look at an organization like the CBC and, uh, and I think we have a similar challenge that the CBC has at NMC insofar as we, we, we aren't a single genre organization. We aren't a single, uh, you know, we don't have a single fragmented audience that we can point to. We, we believe that music is universal. And when you, believe, when you work with something that's universal, then the universe is your audience. Um, so it does create distinct challenges. And I guess that's why, it comes, why we have such a hard time with our elevator pitch, because if we're the Cleveland Rock and Roll Hall of Fame you know, museum, we can say, yeah, it's rock fans, rock and roll music. And maybe you can get into some navel-gazing on what rock and roll music is, but that gives you a framework to work in. We don't have that. And, and so right now, what I can tell you is, I think, you know, we've broken down a lot of different demographics and thought about things. And we do, we think about that on a regular basis. Um, and certainly we see trends with some of our programs and we track that information. Um, but I think for us, how I would say we're conceiving of audience right now is, I think in the first five to 10 years, we really need to focus on, on local and regional audiences. So that, that spans demographics, but I think it, there's a more specific psychographic that we're looking at, and that's for people that that are musically interested, number one, um, that uh, are curious, that want to learn more, um, because ultimately we are a charitable educational institution and we, we, we want to be educating folks as much as possible. Um, but it's really important for us to cement this national organization in our hometown and in the region, and that's why we work with, you know, over two dozen community partners to program that's why our co-presentations are really important that's why creating accessibility to community groups and, and other local presenting uh, partners is important and i think that'll continue to be important you know i think we will be challenged with serving our national mandate uh in that regard but 
we, you know, we've been doing a pretty, I, I feel like we've got a pretty good balance these days. You know, we are bringing in the stars and also serving, you know, jam club is serving, you know, 25, uh, inner city kids a week. So we, we are balancing the stars with the, you know, with local needs and local desires from our community. Great. Well, we need to wrap up our time, but for those aspiring arts managers who are listening, tell us the best part of your job and what you find most challenging or frustrating. Well, I mean, the best part of my job is, is witnessing amazing live music. I would say it's my favorite thing. Well, no, that's not it. I love, I love when we have artists and residents that are making music in the space and that are engaging. I love showing artists around the space and, and seeing the wonder and opportunity in their eyes. And, and yeah, and then witnessing them performing in the space. You know, I've had, um, I just, I'm, I have one of the greatest jobs in music in the world. And that isn't lost on me and I'm incredibly grateful for it, which makes it easier to deal with some of the crazy stuff. It's a stressful job. It's really hard. It, it takes um, it takes a ton of time. It's not something you can punch a clock and work 35, 40 hours a week. Those don't exist. Weekends and evenings are part of the deal, especially in music, right? Uh, you have you know it's a, it's a nighttime economy. So you know my team hustles eight to five every day, and then a lot of times we're working through to the evening. So it it's it's hard on a body it's hard on the stamina and and balance is is hard to come by i guess that's one of the things that i find frustrating sometimes is trying to find that balance because as i also like to make music i also my art artistic practice is important um but i guess one of the things i would say is if if you really love your work and if you are also committed to to having artistic practice you'll find a way and i think uh you know, just sacrifice all your personal relationships and you'll be fine. There you go. That's it. Absolute problem solved. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else, Adam, that we haven't covered yet that you want to add to this conversation? I guess what I would say is to anybody that's looking to, you know, it's funny because I, I had no desire to be a manager at any time in my life. I didn't study management. I didn't go to school for it. I fell into this work because I was passionate about music and opportunities just came up. So all I would say is investigate your passion. And if if you're really passionate about something, good things will happen. Show up on time, be passionate, care a lot, take pride in your work, and, and work on building good relationships with the people you work with. And if you do all those things, you're going to be successful. If your passion isn't there, do something else. Find it because you're not going to succeed. Words of wisdom. Thanks so much, Adam, on behalf of McEwen. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Katrina, that was an amazing interview with Adam Fox, and there was so much in that, and there's so much depth to everything he was saying. So, you know, it's when you think about a learning outcome from that, you know, where do you start, really? A, a couple of things really uh, resonated with me, and one of them was the organisation itself and how they in some ways have grown quite organically and they've responded to what's happening around them. And I think that's a really exciting way to grow an organisation. Yeah, it's really interesting when you talk about going from a little organ museum kind of tucked away in the corner of the city to the National Music Centre and just really yeah. staking their claim to that title. Um, it was a really fascinating conversation. And, and one of the things that I picked up on was this idea 
of marketing music, something that's really universal. And he talked about the challenge in having this universal product. I was thinking about that from a marketing perspective, because when you have limited budget and limited resources, you really need to pick a target audience. You can't market to everyone. It's virtually impossible. So I thought it was really interesting that they landed on two different aspects to hone in on. One was a psychographic of people who are musically interested. And then there was this demographic aspect of looking at the region of Calgary and Alberta. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and a great way to think about it too. And um, it kind of goes back to what we're talking about them as an organisation, the way they're organic, I think even that's growing and how their marketing is growing as well. One of the things I really did like, and he did kind of say it as a bit of a joke at the end, was that his honesty about the stressfulness of being a manager. And um, I loved that. I love that too. (laughs) It was just such, it was actually one of my favourite parts of the conversation. And it's something that I think we know as arts managers that this is a stressful job. It's not a nine to five. He talked about the nighttime economy and how his staff has to work late hours. And that's the reality of our world. And I think it was just really great to have somebody say that really authentically and honestly. But at the same time, he said, but I love my job. Yeah, yeah. An absolute pearl. This show was created by executive producer Annetta Latham, producer Katrina Ingram, technical producer Paul Johnston, research assistant Rael Lockwood, theme music by Emily DeFour, and cover art by Constanza Pasher. Artful Conversations is a production of McEwen University, all rights reserved.